Well, welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 204 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is This is the Way on Corporate Culture. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today. Hope you're doing well. Um, I thought I'd bring in a little bit of The Mandalorian to help us today to talk about corporate culture. Uh, This is the way is uh, sort of a play on how do we deal with corporate culture? How do we define it? How do we measure it? How do we remediate it? All of those kinds of uh, fun issues. Before we get started on this discussion, how about a word from our sponsor, Clause Match? Are you looking for a policy and compliance management platform to help you automate tasks, organize data and documents, and collaborate across your compliance and risk teams? ClauseMatch is an award-winning regulatory technology company that provides policy management and regulatory change management solutions for financial institutions and other regulated companies. ClauseMatch's AI-powered smart document collaboration platform enables cross-functional teams to interact with, review and approve centralized policy documents in real time, with the precise audit trail mapping them to regulatory obligations on a granular level. Clause Match applies a deep understanding of the regulatory lifecycle and machine learning to standardize and automate processes and workflows across teams, reducing costs, speeding up implementation, and demonstrating compliance to regulators. To learn how to transform your policy and compliance management, visit clausematch.com or email evolve at clausematch.com. Well, I thought we'd uh, get started and talk a little bit about corporate culture. Thank you to The Mandalorian for, uh, if you watch the show, it was actually really entertaining. Um, and uh, what I'm trying to, to sort of outline here are some practical approaches to embedding, promoting, and managing your corporate culture. Uh, to me, this is, uh, for every uh, chief ethics and compliance officer, it's your most important asset, intangible asset, that is. And that's your reputation. And this is built upon uh, your corporate culture because your corporate culture provides definition as to your mission. Uh, It also defines the way you work together, you interact together, uh, and how your company goes about its daily uh, business activities. Um, you know, I, some people will say, look, uh, this is too hard of an issue to uh, define, to measure, to get into, but that just shows a lack of creativity. Um, you know, that's when we hear the Justice Potter Stewart famous definition of obscenity. I know it when I see it. That's not, and if, when you apply that to corporate culture, you're by definition going to lose. So let's, uh, I want to give you some of my perspective on some of these issues Uh, And this sort of follows on some of the blog postings I wrote last week about this. Um, You know, there's no correct answer here, uh, but I want to persuade people and encourage people to tackle the issue because I think it's a very fulfilling and very important issue to each uh, company. Uh, I often say that culture is the company's most important internal control. When you do a risk assessment, it's not just the rules that you have. It's not just the controls that you've written out and that you enforce, but it's also the culture of how the company operates. So how do we define it? We don't define it first off with, hey, the standard line, we're committed to doing the right thing. If I hear that and that's your rallying cry, that's a lazy rallying cry from your leadership. CEOs and senior executives who just say, hey, we just do the right thing, uh, to me, 
Uh, and I have to make another reference to uh, popular culture, uh, although it shows my age, I have to admit. Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Run away, run away. So it's a cop-out, pure and simple. So how do you define your mission? There's a great uh, lecture by Simon Sinek on the uh, Internet on uh, how Apple defined itself and basically distinguished itself from other computer manufacturers or uh, you know laptops and all that. Um, so I like to look for straightforward approaches that are easy, that are accessible, uh, and that can be translated into an action plan. So start, a company consists of individuals, they're committed to a mission, organized to long specific functions and levels of management and leadership. A culture reflects not only its business mission, but much more because it's like your DNA. How do you operate? How do you, uh, what's the expectation around internal interactions among board members and between uh, board members, senior executives, management and employees, and external stakeholders like your community, your shareholders, your other stakeholders like the government, consumers, and the public. So I often stop, start with the basic question, what is the mission of the organization? What is its guiding purpose in providing goods and or services? Um, it's not making money. Well, if you want to define it that way, you can, but you're not going to get very far. It's not just, hey, we sell low-cost computers. It's more than that. What are you distinguishing yourself with in the marketplace? What is your true overall mission? And people, a mission like this, a real mission statement, is what animates the company. It's leadership, it's managers, it's employees, and it's owner. It is the value proposition for the customers. It's a way to define yourself in your relationship with your customers. It's a rallying cry. Um, leaders know the organization's purpose, what a, and they know the reason for its existence, and uh, communicate that mission to inspire others. And humans, uh, you know, the difference between humans and a, a robot, we want to join together in a community and a common mission, a higher purpose to our work. And we define ourselves by our work sometimes and our accomplishments. That's part of our life uh, realization process. And not to get too heavy into this, but this is, uh, you know, we can see lots of organizations with uh, leadership missions, uh, be it a church, be it a university, be it uh, the military. Um, there is a statement of a higher purpose to which all everybody believes or buys into or feels a stake in. That's what we're talking about. It can be supplemented by a short value statement. I like some of the short value statements that are you know, one word, and there's like four of them, whatever, anything to inspire people to operate in a higher cause, to dedicate themselves to a higher cause. And a short value statement can be a force uh, multiplier. But we want to define a culture that translates into beliefs and values that guide the organization's members, not in a control sense, not by dictates, orders, or authoritarian rule, rule but by uh, inspiring a shared purpose that results in a common understanding of expectations and behaviors. And it's not a fixed monolith. It adapts to internal and external influences. Like the evolution of a compliance program, an organization's culture changes in response to outside factors, inside factors, uh, and adapts. It's part of the human condition and equally so for organizations. But an a culture doesn't exist in a vacuum. 
It's communicated and executed every day. It's the guidepost by which all of our interactions occurred, and it's carried out by individuals in a multitude of tasks. If you stop to consider the number and nature of daily interactions internally, externally, carried out by leadership, managers, employees, third parties, it can be overwhelming. Uh, You know, especially if you think like a chief compliance officer and think about what kind of risks you face in each of those interactions. But that obviously uh, could become overwhelming and, and paralyzing. So it's important to start by um, how do we how do we start to embed this? How do we start to demonstrate this? How do we start to influence each other within the organization? And I always look to starting at the beginning, which is you have an employee who carries out a task under his or her immediate supervisor. This relationship is established through a set of expectations, requirements, and beliefs. Each individual acts in accordance with their understanding and the integration of an organization's culture. Obviously, each employee brings their own perspective and life story. But what I'm talking about is when you become part of an organization, when you sign up for an organization, there's now a new socialization process. Um, And the socialization is obviously communicated in two ways. Internal messaging, words, and actions, conduct. Leadership plays a critical role in this process. Employees look to their colleagues, their supervisors, and their leaders to understand the organization's set of values and beliefs. This is where we get into the CEO and senior executives who demonstrate their commitment to the culture by expressing it through internal messages. Everyone knows that, and most organizations make an effort to message important culture messages from their leaders. But this is a small part, and I mean small, of what is really needed. It is where the organizations actually fail to focus and devote adequate attention. Two significant issues have to be addressed. First, how do leaders, supervisors, and managers promote an organization's culture by their respective conduct? I know it's a rhetorical question, but they have to combine symbolic actions, often communicate powerful ideas, and his or her conduct and reporting of his or her actions sends important messages. A CEO who understands the power of symbolism will make attempts to communicate messages to inspire employees through their conduct. For example, a CEO who provides a monthly ethics award to an employee and publishes it in the company. A CEO who rejects some of the frills of the leadership position and regularly interacts with employees at regular employee meetings. A CEO who rejects a business strategy because it is inconsistent with the organization's culture and values. And a CEO who urges employees to report concerns internally to supervisors or on the hotline reporting system. And a second and important strategy for embedding and communicating uh, and promoting a corporate culture is that more organizations are embracing the training of middle management to ensure that middle managers communicate and operate in accordance with the organization's culture. As part of this initiative, middle managers are indoctrinated into being culture spokespersons. They interact with employees, they are given talking points or vignettes, or they push the ethics and culture message in their interactions, be it a staff meeting, be it, be it not a staff meeting, but they communicate to groups of employees in some way 
what they expect and the importance of this uh, sort of uh, role that everybody plays in defining and promoting uh, your culture. And employees look to middle managers for direct and immediate guidance, not just on specific tasks, but how to interact with each other and colleagues in the organizations. So middle managers carry a large weight on their shoulders. Remember that most employees want to report misconduct, not on the hotline, not to HR, not to compliance, but they want to report it to uh, their supervisor. And uh, for that reason, middle managers and supervisors need to understand the importance that they, important role that they are in terms of how they receive misconduct, how they encourage reports of misconduct, how they deal with those reports of misconduct. Now, obviously, middle managers who engage in misconduct, and this happens, obviously, or who have poor interpersonal skills can undermine a company's culture. And employees who witness a supervisor, for example, who engages in misconduct will question the entire company's culture. If the organization's culture is strong, the employee would report the supervisor. If the organization's culture is weak or under construction, the employee may fall short in his or her own behavior by even engaging in misconduct themselves. A number of companies, though, have adopted ethics ambassador programs or ethics, you know, uh, representatives who are sprinkled throughout the organization. Uh, And I think that's a great idea because they represent the ethics and compliance mission. They are viewed as spokespersons and uh, ambassadors of this important message. It's a positive step as an adjunct to an independent and empowered compliance function. Like middle managers, ethics ambassadors can be valuable participants in the organization's culture mission. So how do we get at measuring and reporting? And this is where we have to use some creativity. This is where we have to use different approaches. This is where you have to work within your organization and your ability to sort of uh, define or carve out a process by which we um, measure and value and uh, monitor and remediate our corporate culture. Is it strong? Is it weak? Is it, uh, you know, undergoing construction? Um, And we need to manage and promote our ethical culture. So let's start with a simple proposition. If your company's culture is the most important internal control and its most valuable intangible asset, A chief compliance officer should devote commensurate time and energy to promote and monitor the culture. Along with this responsibility, the chief compliance officer should regularly report to senior management and the board about the organization's culture. A company that's building or has a strong ethical culture often achieves lower employee misconduct rates in contrast to organizations with a weak culture. Um, An important caveat to measuring employee misconduct, however, is that an organization has to collect and analyze not just hotline reports, but incident reports from all available sources, human resource, internal reporting, hotlines, or employee reporting systems. Employee misconduct data cannot be just limited to, to hotline reports. Most organizations have expanded employee reporting systems to include broad incident reports, walk-ins, oral reports, and formal internal reports. And this incident data is a valuable source of 
cultural information. It can be collected then and organized across the business in specific product areas, divisions, geographic regions, or other relevant ways to slice and dice uh, this data. Now, to supplement this key indicator, a number of organizations adopt proxy measures of culture, number of investigations, seriousness of investigations, training attendance, and other typical compliance data. But I like to look at other ways. Um, I like to look at this is the way, uh, which is uh, to look beyond those traditional measures. One way uh, to me is surveys. CCOs have to survey, and you can do this in conjunction with your HR function as well, but you have to survey relevant groups in the organization. A 12-question, 15-question survey can be designed and executed for small or larger populations within the company. Most organizations, obviously, through HR, will conduct an annual or a biannual employee survey, usually for the entire organization. No problem in piggybacking on that, but let's do more. Specific focus questions uh, should be included in the general HR uh, type of survey, but I want to use surveys as a, in a more targeted way. Um, and we develop targeted surveys to address these smaller groups, a country, and collect results. A rapid targeted survey strategy can then give you important indicators and measurements, along with employee complaint or misconduct rates, of culture trends in the organization. A robust survey program can be executed with, with the assistance of HR, and it can be collected on a continuing basis, assessed, and analyzed. Ultimately, the data trends can be reported, and uh, the CCO, along with HR, can take ownership of the culture issue and work together to provide valuable insights to senior management and board me uh, members. Second, CCOs can engage business managers and employees through a proactive interview program. You can collect valuable insights and inf observations from key employees, designate certain people to interview, and go out and interview them and talk to them, you know, 30 minutes at most. And you can use uh, trends in terms of identifying offices or operations where the trends appear to indicate potential culture issues. If the organization, for example, identifies employee complaints of discrimination or harassment in an office or specific country or region, a compliance professional can prioritize e interviewing individuals in that area, not for the purpose of, it, of investigating misconduct, but getting at the culture. And they should be uh, pretty uh, broadly conducted interviews to get uh, some answers on you know, the standard types of culture issues. Um, then you can also do, which is not scientific that much, but you can use focus groups where you, uh, and you use these focus groups to focus on culture, bringing together a cross section of managers, employees, different offices and assure them of confidentiality. Or you could do a focus group in a particular region or country. Um, and it does not generate measurable data, but the observations while anecdotal can be very, very important. These are some of the ways to collect and analyze culture-related data, but make sure that you do it, you focus it, and don't bite off more than you can chew, and then start to report on it. Uh, avoid the proxy measures and embrace a robust survey process, either with HR or as part of a compliance initiative. Finally, let's talk about remediation. 
And uh, I always start with the most important line from uh, the FCPA guidance from the Justice Department and SEC. The truest measure of an effective compliance program is how it responds to misconduct. And this is a straightforward commitment. Uh, and it's very powerful. And in, in a nutshell, it says it all. Uh, you know, I've witnessed a variety of responses to misconduct. On the one hand, I've seen companies that respond vigorously, uh, investigate it, let the chips fall where they may. We have to define the problem and fix it. On the other hand, I've witnessed companies who are rationalizing uh, problems away, sweep it under the rug and ignore it. So a company's culture is a strong indicator of how a company will respond. But even once you respond and you root out a problem, you understand it and you remediate this issue, the same principle applies to cultural deficiencies or weaknesses. The Justice Department has placed greater emphasis and did so in the revisions to the FCPA guidance on conducting a root cause analysis in response to misconduct. Typically, organizations pull apart and analyze their internal controls and see where the circumvention occurred, where the lack of compliance occurred, the violations occurred, but we're leaving out a big, a big piece. How did the bad actor or actors rationalize their behavior in the context of the organization's culture? Where was the control, where was the culture weak? Why didn't it for example, constrain their desire or their motivation uh, to engage in misconduct. And this is a difficult issue. If an organization truly is committed to promoting and maintaining a culture of ethics and compliance, the, the organization will have data that will be relevant to the condition of its culture. Did the misconduct occur, for example, in a country, region, or office that had been flagged for culture weakness? What kind of measurements had been done there? What kind of surveys had been conducted there? How was employee morale? Was the, were there other instances of misconduct? And assuming that we do get to the root cause, then we have to and notice what is the culture deficiency and how are we going to remediate it? How are we going to, and the tools that are available for remediation can be senior leadership communications and in-person visits to promote and reinforce the organization's culture message, renewed training for appropriate audience, mess messaging around the misconduct, the investigation, and the disciplinary results, and targeted meetings involving ethics and compliance staff, human resources, ethics ambassadors, and other staff to provide perspective on ethics and culture issues, and increased messaging through in-person and video delivery of ethical moments and other reminders of ethical culture. Those are just examples, and it's not meant to be exhaustive. This is an area where creativity and understanding the nature of the uh, remediation project is important. Well, uh, I thought that we would do this overview. Hopefully uh, this was helpful to you. Um, and uh, I'd urge you to spend some more time on this issue with your company and uh, addressing these kinds of issues. Uh, thanks again for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkov Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. 
You can learn more about the legal and compliance services we offer at our website, www.volkovlaw.com. You can also follow our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and our podcast series. You can contact Michael Volkov at his email address, mvolkov at volkovlaw.com. 